We're going to conclude our Power to Change series today. And we've been walking through some of the characteristics that God will, um, will bring about, will, will, will produce in our life as we, as we follow Jesus. And we're closing with um, uh, gentleness and self-control. Gentleness and self-control. And when I think about uh, self-control, when I hear that word, I am taken back, and I mean this. Like when I hear the word self-control, uh, it, it takes me back to Whittier Elementary School in Maslin, Ohio. So I grew up in the 80s. From like 82 to late 80s was my elementary school career. And, and there was a lot different in the 80s, but <clears throat> um, uh, elementary school as an experience was certainly at the top of the list for you know, things that have changed. So I have this picture here. This was, the, uh, this was 80s playground culture. And they called it a playground, but I'm convinced that it was designed by the military to prepare young people for the field of combat uh, one day. Very, very different in that there, there were these towering structures um, of, of rusted metal with exposed, exposed bolts called monkey bars, and, and they, they rose six to eight feet over top of asphalt. Okay, none of this rubberized mulch stuff. And so almost every day, a kid would run in with some kind of, of uh, just you just see somebody screaming, running to the school like that, which could be anything from shoulder to elbow to forearm to wrist, some kind of an injury. And if it wasn't that, at the very least, somebody was getting kicked in the face by another kid playing on the monkey bars. Uh, so, so there was that section of the, play, the, the playground. Uh, and then there was the, um, the merry-go-round, again, also on the asphalt. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, merry-go-round, I didn't spend a lot of time on the merry-go-round. Because um, even for an 80s playground, that, was, that was, had a little extra danger to it. And that and he, there'd be somebody on it and then somebody running as fast as they could to get it going as fast as they could. And, and the goal was to get somebody to either fly off or um, to, to not be the one that fell while you were running. Because, you know, if you'd watch and somebody, and I, I got to believe that the, that the monitors just watched for fun because uh, that's what you did back then. And, and you'd fall, and there was a good chance they were either going to hit their face on the metal as it went around, or get hit by one of the bars as they went down. Um, and so there was, there was that part of the playground. And then there was the slides, which stood about eight, eight, eight feet high, you know, at least twice our size. And uh, there was no rails or anything. The lips on the side were about that thick. I mean, you, you just, you climbed eight feet and you trusted the railings and your balance. And, and on a hot day, those things were oven door hot. And I swear, and I never thought to try this back then, but I swear if you were to crack an egg, like on a summer day, I think if you were to crack an egg on the top of it, by the time it got about halfway down, it would be white, like it would, it would be cooked. And I seriously, that, that, 
that when those were always, or at least most of the time, on, on asphalt as well. Or at the bottom of the dirt had compacted to the point where it might as well have been. Um, uh, but, but then the, the worst were the seesaws. And some of you guys remember the seesaws, and that's it for, for you young ones, youngins out there. Um, it's like the thing that you know goes like that, and you'd sit on either end, and 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 there there were these things called cherry bombs, with seesaws, and the goal was to you know you cherry bomb each other. And if you don't know what a cherry bomb is, let's just say it's amazing that anyone in my age range, any male in my age range can reproduce. Because <laughs> I was thinking about this, <clears throat> let's just say that, that I was out on the playground, uh, you know, 100 days a year on, on that part of the playground from, from kindergarten through third grade. That's four years, right? Um, past third grade, we were doing other things, killing each other on the football field and fighting behind the backstop. But um, let's say I was on the seesaw 100 times a year um, took three cherry bombs each session. That means that every male that you're looking at in my age range had about 1,200 cherry bombs that they took. I, and it's astounding, and, and I think that that's, that's why um, God, in his infinite wisdom, waited for full male development until preteen years because he knew that because of cherry bombs, if, if, if we developed, you know, too soon... That'd be the end of the human race. Um, so that was life on the playground in the 80s. Uh, if we move inside uh, of the school, um, the principal's office, in those days there, was, there would be a paddle that was displayed prominently somewhere um, with holes in it uh, to, uh, to fight against wind resistance, <laughs> like so that you could just get a, get a stronger swat uh, no matter what, though, happened at the hand of the principal, you knew that it was going to be worse when, when you got home. No matter what, there could be, you know, evidence somehow that, it, but but you were still going to get it worse when you got home. Now, to my point, I'm not sure what it was. Um, <laughs> Um, why can't I think of the word? Report card. Report card. Uh, report cards in those days um, were, were a little different. I don't know what, I don't remember what they are now. It's been too long since my boys have been in elementary school. It's only been a few years, but I don't remember the early parts of it. But through third grade, there were two letters. There was S and there was U. Satisfactory and unsatisfactory. That's how it was at Woodier and Maslin. And, uh, and I was, you know, my last name's Poindexter, so you know I was a total nerd growing up. And got all S's except one category. I, I had all S's all the way through and, and then all U's in one specific category. So it went something like this, you know, reading, S, math, satisfactory, um, um, writing, satisfactory, spelling, satisfactory, history, satisfactory, science, satisfactory, gym, satisfactory, um, art, S, whatever. And then practices self-control. Without fail, you, unsatisfactory, every single grade period, every single year. And, and so always unsatisfactory in practice of self-control. 
And my parents obviously would talk to the teacher about it, and the teacher would always say something like, Alex is a really happy child, and he respects authority, and it's not malicious or anything. It's just that he can't miss out on anything that's going on anywhere. If somebody's laughing, he has to be a part of it, and he has to laugh louder. If somebody's talking, he has to be a part of it, and he has to talk more, and he has to try to make people laugh, and he has to try to entertain. It doesn't come from a bad place. He's just afraid he's going to miss something. And so it really wasn't, it wasn't ADHD, it was FOMO, the fear of missing out that I had back then. Now, interestingly enough, the fear of missing out, FOMO, is a thing. Even in like clinical psychology, it's a thing. You can go to health.clevelandclinic.org and read articles. That's every hypochondriac's favorite website, by the way. You might think it's WebMD, but that's for amateurs. Health.clevelandclinic.org is the real source of, of anxiety. That's where it's at. WebMD is just a gateway drug to get you to health.clevelandclinic.org. And, and you'll find articles about the fear of missing out and how it is producing anxiety in people of all ages. This is a new sort of understanding in psychology, the fear of missing out. It's a real thing. It's a real term. And the speculation is that one of the leading causes of the fear of missing out, which leads to anxiety, is social media. Because through social media, you thought your life was good. And then you start scrolling. You thought you were happy with your job. And then you see the girl you graduated with has the corner office. You thought you were excited about your house. And then you see the guy you graduated with just paid off his mansion in Shaker. You thought you were excited about your camping trip. And then you see that the couple that were like the prom king and queen that you graduated with, they have three honor roll students, and uh, they're in private school, and, and they're vacationing this weekend. Uh, they get to stay in the castle, in the Magic Kingdom, in Disney. And now all of a sudden you realize this life you thought you enjoyed, man, you are seriously, seriously missing out. And it's that fear of missing out. When we talk about self-control, when we talk about gentleness, the opposite of that is kind of like impulse and aggression. And I think that if we're really going to talk about God producing um, self-control and gentleness in our life, uh, we've got to talk all about the fear of missing out because it's that anxiety that causes us to want to get something that we don't have. So uh, let me start just kind of reviewing. Um, oh, I forgot to hold on one second. Galatians 5, you can read it on the screen. Galatians 5 says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, not necessarily in that order. Um, those are the things that that God is producing in our life, and that's what we've spent the series talking about. So um, if you missed any, 
uh, of the you know former sermons or any, we've gone through all of those topics and so you could always go to our app to the sermon button and um, get caught up or check any of those topics out that, that you missed but as we conclude today with um, uh, gentleness and self-control what I want you to see is that um, the fear of missing out somehow there's something out there and we're not getting it that's what produces the kind of anxiety that fights against self-control and gentleness. And, and so I uh, would love for you to grab a Bible from the um, chair in front of you and or fire up your you know, Bible app. I like when everybody um, follows along so that no one feels like they're standing out. And if you don't have a Bible that you can easily read at home. Uh, just take that with you. Would love for you to take that one as a gift. But um, one of the this is this truly for me. So I have I've had the, the, this fascination uh, with scripture since I was about I don't know about 12, 13 years old. And um, one of the things that keeps me going back again and again and again, 30 years later, um, with fascination and even a little bit of obsession is how relevant these ancient scriptures are. So we're, you're in page three of the Bible. Ancient, ancient stories. And what, what um, the scholars will tell you that the first 11 chapters of the Bible are, are in some way set apart from the rest of the scriptures and that they are really, really old in their content and the way they're told and their design. Really, really old. And, and while the Bible is sometimes seen as this archaic, irrelevant, um, you know, just outdated, uh, what you're going to see is in the first real story of human interaction. While counselors today are just starting to notice the problems of the fear of missing out, the real problem it creates in life in 2023 with technology and social media and all that, we see this ancient, 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 ancient story. And it introduces the central problem in humans. And what do you think the central problem is going to be that the Bible's been talking about for thousands and thousands and thousands of years? The fear of missing out. So here we go, a story from thousands of years ago where we're going to see it as this, this is the first story in human history about kind of the first story of human history, and it centers around the fear of missing out. So Genesis 2. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. So we see picture painted of human history where God is walking with Adam and Eve. They have each other. They're in this tropical paradise. There's this amazing fruit on all kinds of trees that they can eat, and it's beautiful, and it's good for food. It's delicious. It's everything they need, and they have it all. Chapter 3. Now, the serpent, who represents, I don't know how this all works, but whether it was Satan, represents Satan, uh, the enemy, temptation, all that kind of wrapped up into the serpent. The serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must, uh, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? 
And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat from uh, fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat it, uh, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And the woman, uh, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining, gaining wisdom, she took some of it and she ate it. And with that, that's what that passage is often called the fall of man. That's what the Bible says caused humanity to go off the rails was a feeling of missing out and then responding in bad ways to the feeling of missing out. And so they had it all except just that one thing. And what Satan did to get Adam and Eve, the two perfect humans, to lose control, to lose their self-control, and to become aggressive instead of being gentle and content, all he had to do was convince them that they were missing out on something. Think we can learn from that? I can. Satan, first and foremost, led them to feeling like they were missing out on something. And once he had them there, they were goners. So, Take a moment to think about your life and the things you struggle with. Think about your impulses, the things that you do again and again and again. You're like, oh man, why do I keep doing that? Why can't I be content with this? Why do I choose this instead of this? And think about what it might be that you're afraid of missing out on that causes you to lose your self-control or to lose your gentleness and, and instead be aggressive, <clears throat> be impulsive. Like, for instance, maybe you're you know, part of a friend group and, and you will quickly gossip and slander when other people aren't around and you realize, man, I just want to gain acceptance in this friend group so I will act in ways that push other people down. Or we cut corners. I mean, it's all the same stuff, right? We cut corners in our job um, because we, we um, or maybe not cut corners, maybe we, we act unethically. Uh, and do things we would otherwise not do because we're afraid we're going to get out of good standing with, with the powers that be. We're going to miss out on opportunities, promotions, whatever, if we stay true to our convictions like God would have us. And so we compromise that. We, we lose our self-control. We get aggressive. We do things we know we shouldn't do at work because we're afraid we're going to miss out on opportunities. Uh, maybe, and, and I know this, this happens a lot, unfortunately, um, maybe you feel like you're missing out on the marital intimacy that you feel you deserve. And that leads you to find or seek intimacy in other places that are ruinous for marriages and families and lives. And it's because you feel like, I want that, and I don't have that here, and so I'm going to try to find that in other places. It happens. We lose our self-control. We lose our sense of, of gentleness and contentment um, because we feel like we're missing out on something. And it's important to know what are those places, what are those triggers, uh, so that we can work with God to get past that. Now, that's the fear of missing out. A close cousin 
is what I would call like a fear of living with. Like if we feel like we're, we need something to be happy, we maybe go get it. But then there are certain circumstances sometimes that are in our lives that we just can't deal with. And that leads us to a kind of loss of self-control and aggression. So here's how Paul describes it in 2 Corinthians 12. It says, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. So Paul said, he calls it a thorn in the side. We don't know what it is, but it's that proverbial like there's it's a thorn in the side. It's that thing that we don't want there that we feel like we, that's just so annoying. It's the, you know, it's the person that, that um, uh, talks with their mouth full, only way worse than that. Something that you just have to, ugh, I can't stand having to live with this. So everything from a pet peeve to a real um, a malevolent um, presence in your life. And, um, and Paul says he had this thorn, and he pleaded with God to take it away. Um, and God says, no, my grace is sufficient for you. My presence in your life is sufficient for you. You need to learn to have that in your life and still be content because for God, friendship with Jesus is all that really matters. And through friendship with Jesus, we find true contentment, and that puts us at rest so that we don't have to be aggressive and we can maintain a sense of self-control because we realize there is nothing else out there worth going for. And when we realize that, we become like Paul, who finishes that section by saying, Therefore, I boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may, be, uh, may, may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties and the other things that would otherwise drive me nuts. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Essentially, if you're not happy in the house you're in now, you're not going to be happy in the Shaker Heights mansion. If you're not happy um, where you live, you won't be happy there. If you're not happy in the car you drive, you won't be happy in the dream car. There's nothing out there worth going for. Friendship with Jesus. And this wasn't just a one-time thing for Paul. This was a mantra. He says it again in Philippians 4, very famous verse. I have learned the contentment. I, <clears throat> let's try that again. I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, uh, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. It's a verse about contentment. Paul says, I have learned. I, I've lived in all. I've lived with. I've lived without. And I know that there's nothing out there worth running after. Friendship with Jesus. That's it. My contentment comes in friendship with Jesus. And he's able to control himself. And he's able to live in a kind of gentleness that comes from contentment. Because for him, it all comes from friendship with Jesus. Now, I've got one more thing I want to talk about. Um, real quick. I'm just going to roll out this language. You're going to, you're going to hear from this kind of language a lot from me in the, in, in the coming months. I'm especially going to take like you know, January and February and talk it through uh, in detail. 
Uh, I've talked with the staff about this. I've talked with the elders about this, and everyone's sort of in agreement. Well, everyone's completely in agreement. Um, this, for me, I want to be at Polaris a long, long time. I hope I'm here a long, long time. Um, all I really want to do is to help people grow in friendship with Jesus. Like, for me, when I think about my legacy, which I'm to that age now where I start to think about legacy, um, what do I want to accomplish? What do I want to be said of me? What do I want to be true of, of, of Polaris? And, and we all, we really, we're all kind of united with this. We just want to help people grow in their friendship with Jesus because according to Paul and in my own life, I know that that's all that really matters. And that's all I really care about in ministry is helping people grow in friendship with Jesus. Here's how Jesus says it. It's in Matthew 13. He said, the kingdom of heaven, that's life with, with Jesus, is like the treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. It's like the, he's saying that when you realize the treasure that friendship with Jesus is, there's nothing that's going to stand. There's nothing that compares. There's nothing you would hang on to. Like when you really sense it, how fulfilling and, and uh, peace-giving friendship with Jesus is, there's nothing worth holding on to. It's all you really want in life because it's all that really matters. And so when it comes to finding that kind of contentment, there's really, I, th I think it comes down to there's, there's three images that I can use and I will use again and again and again. Um, and if you just stay focused on these three images, you're going to find growing friendship with Jesus. You're going to find the kind of contentment that lets you gain control of, your, of yourself and, and, and remain gentle instead of aggressive and impulsive and all that. And the first just is what, you, what I would call treasure. It's that thing Jesus is talking about, friendship with Jesus. It's the, it's the personal intimacy. It's the direct connection with Jesus. It's, it's time spent listening to Jesus, learning about him in the scriptures, talking with him, listening to him, just in silence in his presence. Like That's the first thing. If you want to find friendship with Jesus and contentment in life, you just spend time with Jesus. Sit with him. Talk to him. Secondly is the enduring image that he uses of the table. Uh, the table being connecting with other followers of Jesus, other people that are, that are walking with Jesus. You have to have friendship with them. If you want to grow in your friendship with Jesus, you have to be connected in real ways with other people who are doing the same. So think about the table, and, and that's a big part of growing in a friendship with Jesus. And then finally is the imagery of the towel. And the scriptures say that, that Jesus um, wrapped himself in a towel and used that towel to uh, wash the feet and dry the feet of, of his followers. And it's that, that, that imagery of, of humble servanthood where you're not getting anything out of it except that, that you are serving other people open-handedly. And so that you got the treasure, the table, and the towel. And if the goal is friendship with Jesus, and that's what really sets us free from this world and allows us to be content so that we can grow in self-control and gentleness, you want that friendship with Jesus, you focus on the treasure, time with Jesus, the table, friendship with others, and the towel, servanthood. And those three things will get you a long way in finding fulfillment and contentment in life. And so if you want any of those, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, that all comes from friendship with Jesus, which comes from treasure, table, towel. Um, so that's how I'll conclude this series. And uh, we'll do one last song. So if you go ahead and stand, and I'm going to pray. <clears throat> Father, you are all that matters. You're all that's out there. You're all that's worth going after. 
Please forgive us when we are distracted by other things that, that we are deceived into thinking mean a thing. Um, our contentment is found only in the treasure that is knowing you. And so once again, we, um, we confess to you the, the things that we run after and the ways that we try to get the things we feel we need. And um, we renounce those lies. And we believe the truth that you are faithful and you are loving and you are kind and you are all that's worth running after. And we commit again to running after only you. In Jesus' name, amen.